Good morning, Cheer City Church. How you doing today? <laughs> Glad you joined us. Wow. Just even more people. You know, we just didn't expect so many people to be coming in. We're glad for it. Didn't expect it. To God bless the glory, right? Uh, we are in, I'm Dave. I'm the pastor here at Cheer City Church. For those of you who are guests, uh, haven't met me, please take the time afterwards to come over and say hello. I get to pastor this wonderful and exciting, right, group of Christ followers, right? We like to clap. We like to stand. We like to thank God. Now, we are in a second week of this series called The Movement, and we're going through the book of Acts. The Bible is two parts, Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is the creation of the world right up to right before Jesus was born. We're about 400 years before Jesus was born. And then the New Testament is the birth of Jesus and the beginning of the church. And that's what the book of Acts, my Brooklyn thing gets in the way here big time, you know. Ask, Acts, Acts. It's all the same thing, man. But A-C-T-S, that book right there, that tells about the beginning of the church, and it really talks about the acts of the apostles, right? What they were doing, what was going on. And that's where we started last week. Now, we're, we're calling this series Movement, The Movement, because that's how the church started. It was a movement. It started with a handful of people that believed that Jesus did, was resurrected, that he was raised from the dead, that there were eyewitnesses. They saw it with their own eyes. They hung around with him for weeks after his resurrection. They recorded it. They talked about it. And that's how they did it in those days. Say, oh, well, they didn't have recordings. They didn't have computers. No, but they had a way of recording things based on memory. It's like, who's, who's better spellers now? Uh, you know, really, somebody in, I don't know, what, what is the grade my kid isn't in? I'm going to insult them. Okay, whatever. Somebody in the 10th grade or somebody now or somebody in the 10th grade, say, 20 years ago. I'm going to go with somebody in the 10th grade 20 years ago because you know what? They didn't have computers. They didn't have auto spell. They didn't have all that stuff. Not one smarter than the other. It's just 20 years ago, we had to find another way to learn how to spell, right? And that's how it was back then. They had to find a way to memorize things. That's why Scripture is written the way it is in the Old Testament. You have all the famous orators from the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd centuries. They could memorize as much as two or 3,000 words and repeat it. And that's what world history tells us that. So this is legit stuff that I'm giving you today. And these people saw a risen Jesus. And they believed in that. About 120 eyewitnesses. And they went out into the streets of Jerusalem. And they began to proclaim that Jesus was the Son of God. He was the Son of the living God. And that he had been raised from the dead. And he had made a way now for all to come to know God and to enter into heaven. Now, Luke tells us that the church really got started. It began and exploded when 3,000 people came into the church in one day. These 3,000 people, they embraced the idea that this Jesus was who he said he was, the son of the living God. Now, the church was born right then and there. Now, the church, it wasn't a building. And we really pounded away at this last week. It wasn't a building. It wasn't any particular denomination. It wasn't this religious hierarchy. That's not what it was. It was born as a movement. It was just a group of people who saw something, saw somebody, believed it happened, believed it to the point that they would go to the death. It's one thing when you die for something you think is a lie. Who dies for something they know is a lie? They believed wholeheartedly that something supernatural happened in their midst, and out of that the church was born, and it was a movement. And it was a movement of people, so it was disorganized. But they had this simple mission and the mission was, their mission and our mission is that people will come to know Jesus Christ. That he was resurrected. 
and that they would embrace the teachings of Jesus. They would follow him. That's the mission of Chair City Church. We are part of a movement. This is not God's house. huh? We are God's people. Yes? You didn't get it. This is, we are God. We are his temple. We are his people. We are part of a movement that started over 2,000 years ago. This is a building. We make this happen. God working through us makes this happen. We are part of not just a movement. We are part of the greatest movement known to the history of this world. That's incontestable. It's just a fact. Let's keep the movement moving. Now, what happened over time? I'm flying around up here, huh? Let's get a new headset, man. I'm way too excited here, more than in the cinema. We're going to have to do something. Well, you just look so great out there, and I'm, it's just wonderful. Thank God. So what happened? Well, you know, the church got into buildings. The church got organized. They began to have this hierarchy. And then people realized, wow, they started to take control. And they realized, okay, if you control the building, you control the people. You control the people, you control the government. Now there's power, and let's abuse that power, right? So people started leveraging, you know, this movement for the sake of themselves. And some terrible, terrible stuff happened in the name of the church. Horrible, deplorable, despicable stuff. But it's from that ever that... Often it's how the church still functions to some degree. I mean, we're not burning people in vats of oil anymore, but, you know, we still muck it up a bit. And why? Well, what happened in that season, in that time, was the church became inwardly focused, not outwardly focused. Kind of rehashing a little bit of last week, what we did at the end. The church became inwardly focused, not outwardly. They started thinking more about themselves than those who were unchurched, those who were outside the church. And that's just a tendency for churches. To this day, it still is a tendency for churches that they, they might start out with this blast of wanting to change the world. Legit. I mean, who else would change the world but us? But then over time, they slowly turn inward. They slowly, slowly turn to their preferences, doctrinal, aesthetics, whatever it is, they turn inside, you know? And, and some of you realize that, and, and this, this really creates kind of what I would call an unhealthy atmosphere for a movement. It's antithetical to the movement. And some of you have been kind of hurt by that atmosphere, have been confused by that atmosphere. It's not what the church was intended to be. It wasn't the movement. It was a distortion of the movement. I remember about, see, 19, okay, we'll just go to the the summer of 1993, I think it's 24 years ago, so I don't know. But the summer of 1993, I go and visit this girl, this really good-looking girl named Christy, okay? She is. And uh, it's good stuff. I wish, we, I wish we could have filmed all that stuff because it was good. So uh, I go see her for the first time, actually, you know, there in her, you know, suburban Newington, Connecticut place. She lived in Connecticut. And just so you know... As handsome as you think I am now, I was even better looking back then. I mean, I was all that in a bag of chips. I'm not the bag of chips anymore, but I'm still all that. But I was a pretty good-looking guy, all right? Okay. So, and I had a real... Hold on. The point of this is to tell you, and I had a really nice car. All right? So, so I'm a fairly decent-looking guy. I got a really nice car, you know? And eventually, this, that picture was taken several months after the time I'm going to tell you about, I eventually got the girl too. All right. So, so at this time, 
uh, Christie's in Bible college, and she comes home, and when she comes home, she goes to church with her family. Wherever she was, she went to church, but when she came home from college, she'd go to church with her family on Sunday. It was a church she grew up in, and so it just so happens that when I'm visiting her this time, this day, on a Sunday, her family goes to church, so I'm looking to impress, right? Okay? Not that I have good intentions, but I'm looking to impress, and uh, I go to church with them. And at first, everything seems okay. People are fairly nice, you know, and I'm, I'm slightly uncomfortable. I'm okay. I'm a pretty outgoing guy. You know, her family, they sat up in the second row. Not my preference, but, you know, I sat there. And then, you know, it starts off, it starts to go the wrong way when they stand and sing for 40 minutes. Because, don't get me wrong, I just don't know the songs. So I'm singing songs I don't know, therefore I don't like, right? And, uh, and I'm standing for like 40 minutes. I think the only thing that got me through was Christy and her dad were singing a song, so at least I got to look at her for 40 minutes, all right? Now, I know some of you don't dig that when I say that, but I'm just, I'm just so I'm, I'm revisiting 24 years ago from the mind, the depraved mind, but, but not an uncommon mind as far as how one might perceive things of how I felt and what I was thinking. So I got through the 40 minutes, but then it really went downhill after this, okay? I've told some of you this story, sitting there having dinner over coffee, well, now the pastor comes up and he starts to talk about this communion stuff. And I'm like, all right, well, man, you know, I, I vaguely remember communion. I haven't been in church in over 10 years. And then after, and before that, I was only in church for a short time. I think the last time maybe was when I received confirmation I took communion. So I get it, it's kind of, but it's kind of like it's vague to me. And then he starts, you know, basically these guys come around and they pass out this cup with some purple liquid in it, right? And these pieces of Wonder Bread broken up that everybody's grabbing. Okay, yeah, I, I got it. Good so far. But th this is where it gets tough for me. The pastor says in so many words, at least what I hear is, you're holding the broken body of Jesus in one hand and his blood in the other. So now, hanging out, my mind down, and I'm like, yuck. <laughs> I mean, like, that's, that's disgusting, man. Now again, hang out. I, I think communion is beautiful. I mean, it's actually brutal and beautiful, if you really think about it, huh? I treasure the time, but I'm going back to Dave Trelongo, 1993, 28 years old, haven't been in church in over 10 years, and I'm walking in, and I'm holding the body parts and the blood of Jesus, right? It's just not sinking in too well, huh? And then he goes on to say, as I'm kind of trying to get through this, that if I, if I actually eat this stuff or drink this stuff, and I haven't been a good boy, and I haven't behaved well, in so many words, that's what I'm hearing, well, then some really terrible things are going to happen to me. I'm going to go to a really terrible place. So I'm like, all right, this ain't, okay, I got this, huh? So at which point I turn around to the guy sitting next to me who happens to be Christy's brother, and I'm like, would you like this stuff? Because I don't want this stuff. It's a true story. And he looks at me rather confused, you know, like, no, I'm, I'm good, I'm fine. So now I'm sitting there, and they go through this whole process of everybody going, and I'm just sitting here with this body part in his blood, and I'm really uncomfortable. Then they go and they sing a song on top of that, another song. Finally, these guys come back around who passed out, pass out the items in the first place to pick up the empty cups, and I hand them back my juice, which I eventually figured out was juice, my juice and the wonder, but I give it back to them. Thinking back, I wonder if they thought I was serving them. I was such a humble, godly, wonderful person. But it really was rather kind of confusing me and unsettling and uncomfortable for me. Now, so some of you say, you know, okay, well, we got some stories too, right? And it, it's not always that funny. Some of you growing up, your parents got divorced, you were in church, the church did not handle it well. They, they kind of really messed it up, huh? 
Some of you, you know, you, you, you grew up in church, you're around church, and people were fighting and they were arguing a lot. And, and who was getting tossed out and who was coming against a pastor? Oh, there was so much strife. And oh, my Lord, I remember a guy, uh, a pastor one time, talking about how he started a church right around Yale in Connecticut, Yale University. And he says, you know, I had this really bright idea to, to advertise right there because he, he was a mental health counselor. So he said, I'm going to use the gift God's given me. And he put an ad in the paper, free mental health counseling available. He said, I got so, I got overwhelmed with phone calls. He goes, and you know, a lot of those people that answered those calls for mental health counseling, they came into the church and they came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, right? He goes, and some of them became deacons, right? You can laugh. That's funny. You're supposed to laugh. Some of them became deacons. They became leaders in the church, right? All right. You didn't get it. Okay. So, so you, we, we have deacons here. It's deacons, in case you don't know, you don't go to church. They're generally, in most churches, they're like the leaders of the church, you know? There's probably a lot of people in here at one time were deacons because they usually rotate them in churches, you know? Let's just keep doing this until we get a couple of bad apples to tear the place apart. Okay, anyway, just peeking in there, all right? And we're not perfect. We got some bad apples here, but we're, we're going to work with you, okay? We're, we're going to bring it around. We have deacons here. When you walk through the door, that was a deacon. Deacons wait on tables. Deacons serve, right? Deacons care about us. We got deacons all over the place here, right? Yeah, say, yeah, we got them, Dave. We got them. So, but what happens is you're growing up in this church and, and you, you're thinking, wow, you know, look at this strife. Look at this division. Look at the way people are. Look at the way they handle stuff. You know what? My friends who are outside the church, who I would say my friends from Brooklyn, are nicer than some of the people in this church, you know? And you might say the same thing, like, well, my friends who I hung out with the bar on Friday night, they seem to be nicer than the people that are, that are in this church. Now, that's a general statement, but even for it to be applicable in the smallest form, how could that sentence be related to something that's the movement, something that's changed this world for the better? You cannot deny that. This movement that was started by these eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ has changed this world for the better. Women are treated better because of it. Children are treated better because of it. Mankind, humankind are treated better because of this movement. So how did it come to that? So it seemed like, you know, when you look now at Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, when you, when you read what we're talking about in this series, you're going to say, wow, what we're reading about doesn't seem to resemble a lot of what the church has been for the last several hundred years, and, and even a lot of what the church often can be today. You know, back then, this early church, they loved each other. They cared for each other. They overlooked things. They supported one another, and, and that was important. And, and you know what? Here's the thing. You didn't have to have any set. All you needed to know was this thing. Do you believe that Jesus Christ was resurrected? Do you believe that he is the son of the living God? That's what matters. Are you into caring for one another and loving other people? If you are, you're in, man, you're in. High five, you're on the team, that's what matters. So that's our mission, to love God and to love others. And we do this because we believe that Jesus Christ was resurrected and he has made a way for our sins to be forgiven, that we would be in eternity with God the Father. That's the mission. Oh, and by the way, if you don't believe, that's okay. We're not your enemy. Come on in. Take a look at what we're doing. Take a look at what God is doing on us. Take a look at what this belief, how it changed us, how it affected us, how now we can live not for ourselves but for others. 
You are not our enemy. We are not against you. We are not anti this. We are not anti that. It's just that we are so jazzed up. We are so excited about Jesus Christ being resurrected, the Son of the living God. We are so excited about our future. The best is yet to come. We will be in eternity with our Heavenly Father. We just cannot keep it inside, huh? So we are for things, not so much against things. We are for Jesus. Things have changed, haven't they? What happened? They got away from just the movement, from this simple mission. Huh? From just looking at people, how can I help you? What can I do for you? How can we serve you? This was the mindset of that first church, that first century. But you know what happened is that the church went from being outsider focused to insider focused, huh? And when that happens, things get confusing, things get stagnating. It can even get kind of creepy, if you will, right? And if that's you out there, and that's what you got introduced to, and that's what you've been exposed to, this anti-church thing, you know, a church that's anti-everything, a church that's divisive, a church that's gossipy, you know, a, a church that might fit that tag that I think is recklessly used at times, a hypocrite's. But that wasn't, that's not what God meant to be. That's not the church. That's not the movement. I want to let you know that. The movement is awesome. The movement is powerful. The movement is life-changing. The movement speaks to who you are and the depth of your heart. You love. You want to be loved. You want to engage in people. You want to share life. You want to think about the future in a good, hopeful way. That's God, man. God put that in you, and this is the movement. Not what you experienced, huh? I'm really all over the place here. All right. So look, and even though there was some tension and there was some difficulty going on, to say the least, there was tension with, and they did have difficulties, those who believed in Jesus and those who professed his name and his resurrection, really, they were favored. That's how they grew so much. They were favored because people said, look at the way they love each other. Look at how they are so excited and enthusiastic about what they believe they saw and about how they're living. They're not against anybody. They're not tearing anybody down. They're not criticizing. They're not protesting against anybody. Oh, protest is a bad word today. <coughs> okay. I'm sorry. I'm having too much fun up here. I'm speak, I, if I seem a little bit afraid here, I was up late last night watching a game, something about a protest and, you know, whatever. All I knew is the final score. Anyway. All right. It's a great game. Okay, I'm off track. Listen, we started, the church was started as a community for unchurched people. When we began this church, we began it to see people be, come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Really, we put it this way, to see people become followers of Jesus. That was and is our mission. And we set out to say, okay, what if we do church with the unchurched people in mind first? I mean, really do church that way. I mean, really keep that, not that we don't care about everybody, we do care about everybody. But when it comes to Sunday morning, we really want to keep people who are not going to church in mind. Because I believe that's how the church started. That's how the movement started. I'm not starting anything new. You're, you're with me, we're not starting anything new. We're just tapping into the movement that began over 2,000 years ago. That people would come in to Chair City Church and they'd say, you know what? You know, I don't buy that, man. Yeah, this, this Jesus stuff, I don't buy it. I, I just don't believe in it. I mean, you know, I, I get some of the practical stuff, but, you know, this, 
being raised from the dead. I mean, it just it sounds like a fairy tale, and I don't believe in this stuff about not, you know, some of this moral stuff. I, I just don't get it, and I don't buy it. But you know what? I like the people. I like the people. I like the way they treated me and my family. And you know what? We actually left here feeling better about life for some reason. We don't know what it is. We don't have this sense, but something in us, it just seems right, which we would call God drawing them to him, okay? But they would say, you know what? I liked it enough, and I liked the people enough, and it was, there was something genuine there that I'll come back to listen to what I don't believe. <laughs> we win when they come back. They don't come back, we don't win. And we like to win, right? We want to win. Hear my heart. I'm so real about this. We win when they come back. We don't win. Well, I don't want to give my thunder away. Yeah, let me stop there. All right. We want them to join us in the movement. We want to see them follow Jesus. So, look, we're going to jump into the Bible here. We're going to look at some verses in the book of Acts. You know, uh, if you have faith in God, you know, you consider yourself what you'd call a Christian, um, you know, then, uh, you know, you, and if you don't have faith in God, hang in there for us. Maybe you're kind of hanging there with me. Uh, you're sort of off the hook a little bit here, but, but you get a glimpse of, of what I'm talking about here, how maybe sometimes the church isn't what God intended, but how it really can be, how it's right there in our midst, and how God in His mercy and His grace gave us this word so that we could really get a glimpse into how things happen and how they should be. So hang in there. Now, when we pray, we generally pray for ourselves. We pray for family members. We pray for friends. That's all good. So I'll, I'll say over and over, that's good. It's, you're not doing a bad thing. You're doing a good thing, right? Now, when we pray to God, we also, we often pray for like safe trips. My father-in-law prays for travel mercies. I mean, like we could be in a basement and, 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 and praying for somebody's broken leg and he prays for travel mercies, you know? I guess when you're an alcoholic all those years and you're driving around drunk, you pray for travel mercies. Anyway, I love you, Lloyd. No matter what you're praying about, if you notice, Lloyd always prays for traveling mercies. Okay. But, and that's cool. That's all right. Are you wearing an orange shirt today? What's with this? We're coming to a new building. He wears lavender one day, wears orange the next. You're going to come out with salmon the next one? I don't know. Okay. I said, all right. Make fun of my accent. All right, come on. Protest, protest, protest. All right. So, you, you know, but if you think about it, I mean, it's good, it's okay to pray for traveling mercy, but if you put your seatbelt on and you drive the speed limit, you're probably going to be helping out God a lot, right? You know? God, I, I pray that I'll, I'm going to pass that test. Th that's okay to pray that way, but you know, if you get some good sleep and you study really hard, that's going to help too to pass that test, right? You know? I mean, you didn't do anything wrong by praying, right? I mean, you keep praying all of that stuff, but maybe there's something more. Maybe there are some greater prayers to have in addition to those. Maybe we need to step outside just prayers like that, or that that would be a smaller part or, or a proportionate part to how we are approaching and talking to God. So we're going to turn to Acts chapter 4. You can go there now. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to be putting the verses on the screen. I'm going to give you some background. I'm going to go through it really quickly. One day, Peter and John, you might know me, St. Peter, St. John, they're, the, they're apostles, you know, and they've just come out of this incredible day where 3,000 people joined their movement. It's an amazing day, and they're walking along in their neighborhood there, and they, you know, they see this man, and he's crippled. He's been crippled since birth, and they know that. They recognize him, 
And the guy's begging, you know, to get some money. It's what he does, what he needs to do. And Peter and John, they approach him and they say, listen, we don't have, so, we don't have money for you, but we got something much better. We want you to get up and walk, right? So the guy gets up and walks, and it's a beautiful day. And he follows Peter and John to, this, to the temple, you know, this, where people came together in Jewish culture to worship God. It was like the epicenter of culture there. And a lot of people had gathered, and they see the guy. We'll call him Ted. They see Ted, and like, whoa, Ted's walking. I mean, Ted's been scrippled since birth. I know this guy. I know his family. It's unbelievable. How, how are you walking, Ted? And all this emotion creates a commotion. And Peter sees everybody gather around. He takes this time to preach, and he preaches a sermon. And, and during that sermon, he goes right to that R word, that resurrection word, which is a big deal. Because nobody had ever talked about being raised from the dead and being God before Jesus, and nobody's talking about being God and being raised from the dead since Jesus. And he talks about this resurrection here in the book of Acts. And that same day, 5,000 more people come. And the movement has begun, and the movement is moving on. Well, the religious leaders, the people who run the temple, they're not really impressed with this all. Matter of fact, they're very angry. huh? And it didn't help that Peter kept saying at the end of his sermon, these religious leaders, they're the ones who crucified Jesus, right? Not looking to make any friends. So they grabbed Peter, they grabbed John, and they put them into jail. Now, all these core followers of Jesus, about 120 people, you got to figure they're shaken up by this, right? I mean, in my view, they're shaken. They're, they're unsettled because they watched Jesus being taken and imprisoned and crucified, and they're thinking, what's going to happen to Peter and John? We're talking like our number one and our number two guys. So critical part of the movement here, what's going to happen? They're going to wind up being killed. The next morning, the religious leaders take Peter and John. They take them out of jail, and they're like, look, what have you been talking to all these people about? And Peter turns around, and he kicks over into another sermon. And, of course, he finishes the sermon with the all-word resurrection and saying, hey, you crucified him, right? And they don't take well to that. They really don't like it. But the Bible records his conclusion. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, and this is how he concludes this sermon that he's talking to these religious leaders. Acts 4, chapter 4, verse 12, Peter says, There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Now you might say, wow, that sounds really narrow, that's really audacious. Yeah, you know what? The religious leaders then thought so, and people today still, it still ticks them off that we would say that, that there is no other name by which man, men and women can come to salvation but the name of Jesus, huh? Since before Peter said that, and since Peter said that, nobody else has ever professed that or ever attested to that, that by one name you can be saved. Now, Peter just can't shut up. He keeps going on. And he says, listen, I want you to know God's done something miraculous amongst us. He sent his son, and he, needs, and he wants us to embrace Jesus. I'm just paraphrasing here. But then this really ticks off these religious leaders. They want to bring the hammer down on Peter and John. They want to give it to them, but they can't because they've got all these people out there that are in this emotional uproar because this guy's been healed, so they're seeing Peter and John as miracle workers, and so the religious leaders can't put to death miracle workers. So the story goes on in Acts chapter 4, verse 13 through 14. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus, but since they could not see the man who had been healed standing right, 
But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right in front of them, there was nothing the council could say. So they're in a pickle. They can't kill Peter and John or even hurt them. So they give them a stern warning. They basically tell them, okay, you guys, you just need to shut up. No more talk about this Jesus being raised from the dead. No more R-word resurrection. Definitely no more telling people that we crucified him. Just nothing about him being the Messiah. Just no more talking. You go on your way. We'll leave you alone. And you know what Peter does? He looks right at him and says, you know what? You do what you have to do, and we'll do what we have to do, right? We saw Jesus raised from the dead. We saw him. We, he walked amongst us. We know he is the son of the living God. We watched him ascend and go into heaven to be at the right hand of his father. We cannot stop talking about what we have seen. What they saw began the movement. And so they go through the streets. They keep telling everybody. But I want you to now get to the response of people. Those, remember we had 120 followers, those core group of people that were shaken, that were disturbed, that Peter and John were arrested and put in jail. They're thinking, they're figuring for the worst. Well, now I want to look at the, their response to what happened when Peter and John come back into their presence. So, you know, I mean, they're relieved. They're so glad to see them. And then they all calm down. They gather together, and it's time to pray, and they're going to pray. And this is just so super cool, you know. You wonder, if that was here, the church in America, if that was us here today, how would we pray as Christ followers Two people, valuable, meaningful, dedicated to who we are and what we do. They've been put in jail. They come back into our midst. We think they're going to be killed, and here they are. Where would our thoughts be? Where, where would our words be? How would we be praying? I'm guessing we would pray for protection, right? You know, God plant a hedge of protection around Peter and John. Huh? Seems reasonable, you know? Maybe be, we'd be more prudent. We'd start to take plans. Like, okay, Peter, John, you cannot go out alone. You, you, need, you need some people to be around you. And you definitely can't go out in that area by the temple. Don't go there anymore. And maybe you should find another way to worry this resurrection thing. That would be helpful. But whatever you do, please stop telling them that they crucified Jesus, even though they did. They don't need to hear that, do they, right? Just tone it down and be a bit more careful. That's how we might pray. God, protect them, cover them, put a helmet on them. May your angels be camped around them. Keep them from harm. But check out how they prayed in Acts chapter 4, verse 24. When they heard the report, when they heard Peter and John tell them what happened, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign God, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. All right, stop right there. In other words, God, before we get into anything, right out of the gate, we want to put you where you belong to be. We want to acknowledge how great you are and who you are, that nothing is out of your control. Nothing happens without you knowing about it. As me and Christy say, nothing comes into our life without it going through the hands of God first. Let's keep going. Acts chapter 4, verse 25 through 27. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. This happened right here in this city. For Herod Antipas, Punctius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant who you anointed. So in their prayer, they're actually quoting words from the Old Testament, what we'd call prophecy, that hundreds, years, hundreds of years ago, there were these words spoken that spoke to 
what would happen to Jesus, and it did happen. And it happened how God said it would happen. And they're saying, wow, it, hap it happened right here in our midst. We saw it. So they're saying, God, you're sovereign. What you said would happen has happened the way you said it would happen. You know all things. Now pay attention. Now they begin to pour out their hearts to God. Listen to what they're saying in their prayers. In verse 28, but everything they did, speaking to what happened to Jesus, what God said would happen to Jesus, but everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. Everything the religious leaders did, the Romans did, people who didn't believe in God, all they did to Jesus, you determined it. It was according to your will. They didn't think things were spiraling out of control. They didn't think all these difficult circumstances were, were beyond God's reach. huh? They didn't believe that, that only God brings good things into their lives. No, they believed that God was in control, that God was overseeing everything because he was all-knowledgeable, all all-powerful, and all-present. Okay, here's the next part of the prayer. And this is where now they're going to get to that, you know, the asking part, the gimme part, right? The God give us the protection part. God give us safety. And here's what they ask for. Acts chapter 4, verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats, people out there who were persecuting them, people who took John and Peter prisoners. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. What are they asking for? You don't have to put that up there in bold letters. What are you a They're asking for boldness. Like, what? That's what got you into trouble in the first place was the boldness. That's what got them put in jail in the first place was boldness. It seems like they were pretty bold already. I think they've done their boldness for the year, okay? No more boldness. I think they've proved themselves. They've paid their price. They've put in their time. It's good. But what do they say? Enab what do they ask God for? Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Have you ever prayed like that? I mean, in the face of difficulty, in the face of pain, in the face of, face of suffering, fine. and I'm just going to go now, I'm going to make a generalization here, a life, an application. In the face of pain, of suffering, of broken marriages, of something to do in, with your health, of, of, of difficulty in finances, in the midst of, have you ever said, God, enable me to be bold? Enable me to conduct myself and carry on in a way that's going to testify to your greatness? God, I acknowledge that you created the heavens and earth. You are the one God. You are in control. Nothing is spiraling out of control. Your hand is on my life, and I submit willingly and gladly to that hand, oh God. You are in control. And you love me. And you see me, God. And Lord God, give me now the boldness. Enable me to boldly live out my life in a way where you're glorified. That testifies to your glory, to your truth. That testifies to the power, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that there is hope. And there is redemption. Yes? Yeah. Imagine living out life that way. That when you're going before God, and it's okay to pray for protection, and it's okay to pray for healing, and it's okay to pray for comfort. I'm big on that. But imagine, in addition to that, you prayed for boldness. God, may your light, may your word, may your truth just come forth from me. Enable me to be bold and strong in these circumstances. And of course, they're talking about in the face of persecution and difficulty, to spreading God's word that they would be bold, as we would be bold. As I said earlier, I said at the ending of the last sermon series, the last time we met in the cinema, this is not a Christian culture. This is not a Christian country. America is not a Christian country. I know I have people coming, oh, that's not true. No, it is true. 
This is not a Christian culture. This is not fundamentally a Christian country. I think some Christians are fighting for what they don't have. It's not theirs. You, I, I, it's a whole other sermon. Stick to the movement. Stick to the movement. Have we ever thought of praying for boldness that God would enable us to speak to a friend, to speak to a relative, to speak to people around us about what we know of God, about what Jesus did, about who he is, about, about this wonderful movement that has changed the world and what it's done for us? That, do we pray, God, enable me to be bold to do this, to speak this, that others might follow you as I'm doing? Because this is the movement. This is a critical part of the movement. You know, I'm not talking about being obnoxious and carrying a sign. That's just, I'm not, just not into that. I'm not talking about, like, bumper stickers that offend people. I'm not into that either, you know, and I don't like to get my car keyed, you know. <laughs> like, how'd that, how'd that scratch get there? Why well, you keep putting the bumper stickers on your car, you get a scratch, you know. I know, I'm, I'm, I get, you're not with me, some of you, but listen, I, I was incredibly enthusiastic. When I came to Christ, I was over-the-top enthusiastic about my faith. Matter of fact, there's a picture, we got a picture. I actually went to Times Square one night, took Christy out to Times Square in New York City and brought my Bible along with me. Handsome guy, right? I told you, I really was good looking. Now that I look at it, I'm thinking people probably thought I was a Harry Krishna because I got a Bible on one hand and a flower in the other, right? No offense, Harry Krishnas. It's actually the night we got engaged. It's uh, Times Square, New York. But, you know, but I did. I want my Bible. I actually took the Bible because, uh, it's not my note, but I, what do we got? Ugh, 11.02, okay. You know, in the beginning of, uh, if you own a Bible, in the beginning of that Bible, it talks about special moments, and uh, it talks about the day you were born, and maybe, you know, day you got married, all these things. And so what I did was I brought it along, and I opened it up and gave it to Christy, and right there on the top, it, uh, it said April 22nd, 1994, the day Dave asked Christy to, and I left it like that, and that's what she saw, and then she started to shake. <laughs> Because she knew it was coming. I, I asked her to marry me. All right. Getting back to the sermon. Listen, they prayed for boldness. They changed the world because they kept praying for boldness. The movement kept moving because they were praying for boldness. They were thinking more about the people on the outside than they were on the inside. God, help us reach these people. Help us, God, speak to these people. Help us, God, relate to these people. Help us touch these people. Help us share your truth, God, what we saw, what we've evidenced, what we know to be true. Help us to share it with them. They were thinking about others besides themselves, those that were unchurched, that were outside the church. Now, listen, could you imagine if you prayed that way? Not only in your personal life, as I told you, in your own circumstances, you would not be people of circumstances tossed to and fro like the waves of the sea. But no, actually you would transcend your circumstances. You'd overcome your circumstances, right? If you prayed this way, God enable me to be bold. You'd become more outsider focused. We must continually be outsider focused in this church rather than insider focused. I want us to pray for boldness as a church. I want us to be a bold church. When I get up and I'm clapping, yeah, I, 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 want, I want us to be excited. I want when people come in, it's not hyper-bold. There's meaning to it. Hype is when there's no meaning to it. There's meaning to this. There's meaning to what we do. I believe in it with all my heart. And a whole ton of people put in a ton of hours and a ton of money and a ton of belief and a ton of hope to see this happen, yes? And most of all, we believe wholeheartedly that God brought this, this place to be this tool that we would use, and he brought in the funds, and he brought in the people, and all that he'd be glorified, and I'm excited about that. I'm jazzed about that, and I believe wholeheartedly. Like Christy said to me, she said, Dave, 
you know, everybody was so excited. The atmosphere was incredible. Our first Sunday night. She goes, how's it going to keep going? I mean, like when people came in on Sunday, they probably couldn't believe how excited people were, how, how they were filled with such expectations. She goes, how are we going to carry that? I said, oh, we're going to carry it, right? Like I said, never again does your pastor get up and he's the first one clapping. You, you beat me to it, right? We are excited because God has done something in our midst. We believe it was supernatural. We know it's going to change this city. We know it's going to change people. And we are so glad to be a part of the movement, yes? Worship team, why don't you come on up? And if you're in here today and you don't believe in Jesus, that's my wife. She's awesome. She's got to live with me, man. I wake her up at 2 o'clock in the morning. Honey, I got this great idea. Honey. <laughs> I truly believe the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come for you, for me, for people in this community. I wholeheartedly believe that things will get better, that things will change, that things will improve, because I believe we have the answers. Yeah, if that sounds arrogant to somebody who's an atheist, I I'm just telling you, if you put aside cliches, if you put aside generalizations, you know, you don't, ha you don't have to believe everything the Bible says. I mean, I do, and I believe wholeheartedly it's the inerrant word of God, and I've tested it and teased it. I, I, I can't prove it all, but I've never seen it disproven. But you don't, if you're an atheist, you don't believe in God, you're on a fence, you don't have to believe it all to just take some of it. I mean, is that how you approach everything else in your life? You have to believe it all when you watch it and when you read it? No. You take in what is good. You take in what you sense is right. You take in what deep down you feel makes sense, right? Why not consider that with the things of God? What is it about the Bible and Jesus that seems to be so, that, that you know, it's totally like a boom. I won't even, I won't even entertain it. That's a whole other sermon. But maybe it's just that professor in college who said, you know, hey, you know, and really dumbed it down. Or maybe there was that teacher, huh? And little do you know that they're sitting in a church somewhere worshiping Jesus, living a great life, right? Why don't you stand with me? We'll pray. Father, I'm so grateful for this day. God, I pray that you will enable your servant, Dave, to be bold, O oh God, to speak your truth lovingly, gently, wholeheartedly, with enthusiasm, O oh God. And Lord, I believe, though, that as you do that to me and to my friends here, my wonderful, dear friends who you love and who you delight in, Lord, that as you enable us to be bold, that, Lord, that we will pray for this, O oh God. We will pray for boldness. And Lord, as we pray for boldness, that we will see the opportunities come before us, God. You have made us this way, O oh God. You have made us to see opportunities. You've made us to see what we're praying for, O oh God. Let us right now be committed, O oh God, to be bold in your name, to see you do mighty things in this group of Christ followers, in these people's lives, O oh God. Lord, I pray for those who are in here who, who just do not believe in you or just are uncertain about you, God, and might think that you can't relate to them, they can't relate to you. Might be in a place of just disgust when it comes to this church thing. Lord, I God, I pray that, that there'd be a reconciliation this morning, O oh God. That, Lord, right now there, that you'd touch their hearts, O oh God. That even as they say those words, God, that, that they'd not be offended, O oh God. But they'd entertain the thought that, 
the very fact that they have these feelings of good and bad, the very fact that there's a good and evil, the very fact that they do love and they desire to be loved, that where did this come from? That you made them, God, this way. You made them to be loved. You made them for meaning, O oh God. You made them for this movement, O oh God. And that right now they'd, they'd consider that, that they would turn to you, O oh God. They'd embrace you. They'd feel you truly touching them, making a deposit into their soul, O oh God. They'd recognize that truly you are a part of them. And they begin to move forward. And for those who've come to this bold place, O oh God, that they can turn from the way they're living and say, today, in this moment, I want to know Jesus. I believe he was resurrected. I believe he died for the forgiveness of my sins. I want to be in eternity with God. And I am so grateful that Jesus has made a way for me. Lord God, that they would come to you in saying that, oh God. They would turn to you. They would embrace you, oh God. And they would know you as we have. And they would begin to follow Jesus in Jesus' precious name, amen.